Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 14, Temperance, part 4 of our Virtues and Vices series, recorded Thursday, February 7th of 2013, with your hosts, Grant, Peter, and Brandon. Hello, my name is Brandon. My name is Peter. And my name is Grant. You're welcome, Brandon. It's really... Yeah. (laughs) I'm still in the middle, you'll notice. (laughs) Yes. For everyone who doesn't understand what that was, uh, go listen to the last episode. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so today uh, we are doing our continuation of our uh, Virtues and Vices segment. As last session we did the Gluttony episode, uh, this week it is the opposite of Gluttony, which is Temperance. Or at least the virtue traditionally set as the contrary virtue to gluttony. Uh, temperance, it's temperance. I was looking at this and we'll talk about this more, but some aspects of temperance are sort of set in opposition to wrath, some in opposition to lust. It, it's kind of a complicated thing. So it's complicated just like gluttony. That's great. You're welcome. All right. Hey, listen, it gives us something <laughs> well, to talk are, about. These are the fundamental sins and virtues that have been codified over hundreds of years to describe the human condition. You're expecting them to be simple? Wouldn't it be nice? It would. It would be very nice. Yep. Uh, so before we start really, really diving into this episode, uh, does anyone have anything interesting that they should update people about or things? Uh, I actually don't, other than to say that um, we're recording this about two days after our gluttony episode dropped, and we were already getting some great feedback on the gluttony episode. So all of you who've posted for that, thank you. You guys are awesome. Yeah, absolutely. As far as any special announcements, no, uh, I, I remain the same boring person I've been for the rest of the run of the podcast. Hooray, I think. <laughs> all right. So uh, as we explained, uh, yeah, this is this is our virtues and vices segment, and as I've said, we're going through all the different uh, vices. This is our fourth installment. And as always, we start off with scripture. Well, actually, this is only our... This is our second vice, right? This is a virtue. Temperance is a virtue. Our, our, the, right, but this is our second paired set, I mean. So right, yes. it's the fourth, so it's episode, the fourth episode, but it's... Yeah. But you, you, you said earlier that like the, that one was the third installment, so this is the fourth installment. Math. Eh, yes. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Just for that, you get to start off on the first scripture reading. All right, give me the short one. All right, we've got uh, scriptures, um, uh, Proverbs twenty five sixteen. If you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it, and you will vomit. I'll take the next one, then. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verses 16 to 17. Woe to you, O land whose king was a servant, and whose princes feast in the morning! Blessed are you, O land whose king is of noble birth, and whose princes eat at a proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. And the next one is 1 Corinthians nine twenty-four through 27 Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. 
I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And the last one, uh, you guys mind if I take it? No, go for it. Not at all. All right. Uh, the last one we've got is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Uh, I do want to stress uh, here, as we kind of wrap all of this scripture up, both the Old and New Testaments of the Bible are full of admonitions to and examples of temperance. These are really just the most explicit passages. Uh, there are plenty of examples in Daniel. There's some all throughout Leviticus. Uh, the New Testament especially is full of them. Um, it's one of the overarching themes of... Yeah, you can you can get into <laughs> the stories of the Old Testament saints and see it there. You, oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's one of the things that really comes up quite a bit. So this is a small sampling of Scripture. All right, so obviously with uh, with a huge um, amount of scripture that has been put to paper uh, by various biblical authors, this is something that we're meant to take seriously. So let's dig into it a little bit. Uh, one of the first things that we've got down here is that uh, temperance is most commonly used in the Bible as self-control. Grant, did you want to unpack that a little bit? Or? Uh, yeah, there's... The Greek word that's used most commonly in the the Bible, or at least the Greek parts of the Bible, is inkrateia. I'm probably not pronouncing that at all right, but it's it means self control. Um, it's the idea of temperance and self control as a personal virtue, and the idea of self control of you know being in control of one's actions and thoughts. Um, in control of what you eat and drink, what you do in your life. This is a personal virtue that, while very important to Christians, is not limited to Christianity. Pretty much every major religion features that uh, in some way. The yeah. idea that we have, the, the Christian idea of temperance, is mostly derived from Jewish and Greek traditions, and those Greek traditions are mostly derived from Plato and Aristotle, um, though it's hardly unique to them. The other definition that we've got in here that I thought was really cool that uh, you found was St. Augustine defined it as love giving itself entirely to that which is loved. Right. That was his definition of it uh, as he was describing the four cardinal virtues of which uh, temperance is one. These are the four cardinal virtues that uh, Plato and Aristotle espoused. Um, through the, f the four that are not theological in nature. Gotcha. Um, the other three being uh, faith, hope, and love. This is a tr sort of interesting definition, and I'll be honest with you, I've been puzzling over it since I found it. Love giving itself entirely to that which is loved. Um, I think we're going to have to come back to that one, unless you guys have something to say about it. Well, it sounds it sounds in a lot of ways um, 
almost like the definition we used for charity. It's the kind of uh, selfless, sacrificial love. I'm not, not sure that I really have a whole lot to add to that other than that, but I I still think it's a neat definition. Brandon, everything okay? Uh, I'm perfectly fine. Just had just found my phone that was he's uh, little... he's just fighting with cartoon characters again. Gotcha. See, he just beat one. There you go. Um, well, that was a door opening, but I know far too much about Zelda. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is totally getting caught. Anyway, so another definition I found, and this one's interesting. This is how temperance is defined officially in the modern Catholic catechism. And I don't, none of us are Catholic, but I found this to be a particularly interesting and useful definition. Temperance is the moral virtue that moderates the attraction of pleasures and provides balance in the use of created goods. It ensures the will's mastery over instincts and keeps desires within the limits of what is honorable. The temperate person directs the sensitive appetites towards what is good and maintains a healthy discretion. That is a really good definition. It is. One of the things that uh, I I think is interesting about temperance is um, it's tempting to confuse it with asceticism a little bit when they're really not the same thing. Right. I, in fact, uh, one of the one of the definitions that you came across when you were doing the research on this was that. Um, Temperance is more about moderation than full abstinence. Uh, it's not just, you know, doing the bare minimum to survive, you know, sleeping four hours a night, eating, you know, just enough calories to not die of starvation, uh, not seasoning anything, that sort of... That's um, <clears throat> that's extreme asceticism, and that's not particularly healthy for the human soul either. The, the idea is to find a um, a place, I think, where you have enough left over having your own needs fulfilled to the level where just getting them fulfilled doesn't take everything out of you, where you you can go out and do good works. Right. And and you do have some emotional capital left to to share with others. So, I don't know. I, I thought that would be important to call out. Yeah, it's, it's an important point. We're not talking about asceticism when you think of temperance. And unfortunately, temperance... Um, the word temperance, because it's a little old-fashioned in some ways, it dredges up memories of, you know, temperance movements and teetotaling and prohibition and... And never drinking anything ever and alcohol is bad. Right. And, you know, we've talked about Paul's weaker brother argument before, um, and that is a form of temperance. You know, if, if you drinking is going to set off somebody who is a lapsed alcoholic. Right. If it's if, then it's best not to drink in front of them. Right. And that's a sort of temperance because at that point drinking would not be healthy or honorable. Um you know, it it's not the right thing to do at that point. And I think it's important to call out that that's a really good example because temperance is all about consideration really. Right. Um it, it's, you know, it, in the same way that, that um, its opposite, gluttony, is kind of all about fulfilling yourself, temperance is about, you know, making sure that your fulfillment is not taking away from the fulfillment of those around you. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, if there's a guy on a diet, you don't want to bake his favorite type of cookies and then waft the smell at him. And then just, like, set a huge plate down in front of him and sit there like, mmm, cookies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that's an extreme example, but I, the it's very valid. By the same token, you don't want to, you know, say, oh, you're on a diet and remove everything with any fat or sugar or anything like that from your house. <laughs> any flavor. Yeah. 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 Um, well, like I said, um, I've been watching The Biggest Loser recently mm-hmm. because it's it just like, oh, I, I like watching reality TV shows and it was on Hulu. Hey, there so you go. I was, yeah. And they make it, they make a statement in there that if you want to lose weight, you need to eat your calories a certain amount. You need to eat a certain amount of calories each week, yep. or else your body won't lose weight. Right. Your, um, this is something that uh, my wife and I, we were working on losing weight, still are. One of the things that the the plan we've sort of been following some talks about, um, and actually, let me talk about the plan here real quick, just for those who aren't familiar with it. We're not doing this anymore, but this is what we were doing, um, was a thing called First Place, which is actually a weight loss and dieting plan done through her church. It's a Christian weight loss program, if that makes any sense. And it's it's not weight loss and dieting, it's okay, you know, just it, it's almost a support group with okay. you know, hey, here's information. This is how your body works. We get together and we, you know, we exercise in a simple way, you know, if we can, like and just walk around the church parking lot a few times, something like that. Just something real simple. Um Get together, kind of discuss our goals, set goals you know, for ourselves, encourage each other to meet goals, pray for each other, um, look for inspiration from scripture, that sort of thing. So, if first of all, if you're trying to lose weight or trying to set up something and looking for a support group, you may want to talk to your church and see if you can get that started, because it did a really good job for uh, my wife and my mother-in-law as well. She lost like 50 pounds and has kept it off for years, so... She's doing great. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, she's really doing well. Anyway, one of the things that this First Place program talks about is what happens when your body doesn't get enough calories. Your body goes into starvation mode and starts trying to hoard as much as it can. You'll see people who go on these crash diets get sort of lethargic and just not thinking clearly and that sort of thing, it's because their body's saying, okay, we need to release as few calories as possible and store up everything we can. And yes, they're going to lose weight because they're not taking in anywhere near enough calories. But the body doesn't immediately switch back when you start taking in the right amount of calories again. It stays in this starvation mode and hoards calories and fats and everything it can so that when you kind of rebound from the crash diet, you end up weighing more because your body is saying, apparently we are in some place where food is scarce. We just got a windfall, but it's apparently scarce. So we need to hoard everything we can for when it gets bad again. And I think that that's actually a pretty good analogy for temperance as opposed to asceticism. Yeah. Because if you, um, if you just abstain from everything, you wind up being in kind of an emotional starvation mode where all of the scarcity and all of the want and all of the denial adds up and becomes stressful. 
Or it makes you really self-righteous and you're not doing much good there either. Yeah, yeah that's true too. So, should we get into some in-game uses for this? Because I, I think I've actually got a decent amount to say on that. Well, like, uh, Yeah, I, w- one yeah. thing I wanted to go into first, though. Um, okay. We've talked about temperance so far just in terms of consumption. Temperance is also... It, it's self-control, not just in what we consume, um, like the... Like Proverbs says, if you find too much honey, eat just enough. Too much of it and you will vomit. It's also self-control in terms of our own thoughts and emotions and instincts. Um, And this is where it sort of gets away from being the counterpart of gluttony and also contrasts with wrath and lust and a lot of these other seven deadly sins. Would it also kind of... uh temper, uh, oh, so, sorry, uh, that's as close as I say, tempers, because it's temperance. But wouldn't it um, also kind of go a little bit with sloth a little, and uh, how in gluttony could be the overindulgence of free time and not doing the things that you need to get done, and in temperance you're uh, not devoting all your time and overindulging in a hobby, but instead going out and doing other things, or is that something not involved? Sure, but I I think that gets more into um, industry. Somewhat. Uh, Temperance, yeah, you're right in that not overindulging in a hobby is a perfect example of temperance. You're you're absolutely right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, again, all things in moderation, as Aristotle said. It's good, things are good up to a certain point, and then you need to make time for other things. Important. I go things. back to I go back to my water analogy. Yeah, you know, a, a glass of water will quench your thirst. Throw somebody into the middle of an ocean and they'll drown. Yeah. So anyway, I, I wanted to bring that up because that is important. When we talk about a temperate person, we're not just talking about, well, you know, they're they're on a good diet. It's that you know they are self controlled, they're patient, etc. And patience is a virtue we'll get to in a bit. But temperance leads to patience. An, an intemperate person has a hard time being patient. So yeah, in-game uses. Okay, I I think that um, temperance is probably one of the more obviously heroic virtues that you can put on a character, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think a very temperate character who is able to kind of enjoy things, but is always considerate and leaves enough for others, um, is careful not to allow themselves to be compromised on, you know, intoxicants, whether they're experiences or actual substances. I I think a lot of um, the aspects of temperance make for one of the more obviously kind of heroic, you know, it's it's an obvious sign that this is probably a good person. Uh, If you look back at a lot of... uh, kind of literary heroes and stuff, they, they tend to be very temperate. Just a quick example off the top of my head, Aragorn is very temperate. Uh, he doesn't overindulge in things, but, you know, he'll sit around and have a meal with people, and uh, he's not particularly self-righteous. Yeah. Um, he's self-controlled without being a sociopath, just dead inside. Yeah, yeah he's not. he's not constantly flogging himself, but... He has a lot of self-control. He uh, He's able to exercise appropriate restraint in situations that call for it. Right. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good example. You know what's funny? Temperance for me 
is maybe most important for GMs. Really? And what comes to mind is the the quote from St. Augustine that we were struggling with, love giving itself entirely to that which is loved. Um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm still sort of puzzling over this, but I can see this as it relates to GMing. Okay. Elaborate. A GM who is focused on himself isn't going to be a good GM. Right? Mm, yeah, that's true. A GM who says, okay, here's my plot, but I need to make, you know, th- the other players are important. Really, and it's not just the other players. You know, the GM needs to have fun with this game as well. Um, but then that's that's temperance as opposed to asceticism. Right. It's Asceticism is, I don't have fun, so they can. Temperance is, I need to make sure we all have fun. Right. It, it's making sure that it's about every person at the table. Uh, it's about balancing the time that each player gets in the spotlight, about uh, letting players contribute to the game and to the plot, giving yourself to the game as opposed to, you know, this is my game, my story. Because, I mean, I think probably every listener to this episode who has gamed has probably suffered through a GM or been the GM who inflicted this on other players. Or uh, both. Or both. The game that's, it's my game, and no, you can't deviate from any of it. You know, we're not just talking railroading. It's... You know, this this is how I want things to go. This is how the scene has to happen. It's a... Dance, it, puppets, dance, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so, sort of the traditional retort to that is, look, if, if you want that, go write a book. Because you're, you're telling your story as opposed to everybody's story. You know, and, and we're sort of getting to some out-of-game stuff here, but I think it's important in-game to let the player characters and their decisions and their actions be a part of the game, be a part of the story that you're telling. You know, it sort of it sort of crosses that in-game, out-of-game border. But that's sort of where I see that coming in. You know, we're talking about uh, heroic virtue, you know, temperance as a heroic virtue here, too. Um, I just, I, I think it's a good baseline, I, I think if you've got a character that you want to depict as upstanding and heroic, mm-hmm. they kind of have to be temperate. They might, you know, they might be, they probably should be many other things too. But I think, I think without the temperance, they're going to seem flawed and anti-hero-ish. Well, it dep- you know, if they've if they've got the virtues yeah. of like courage and industry, but not temperance, they they might be formidable. And, you know, they might be able to get a lot of stuff done, but they don't seem very noble at that point, because they're selfish. Right. And that I think that especially applies to behavior. Is someone in control of their emotions and their actions? Or, you know, do they fly off the handle? Do they leap to conclusions and leap into action before really considering the situation? I, I think it can kind of feed into mercy, too, but... Obviously, we'll talk about that after we talk about wrath. So, yeah, I, I, you're right. Again, you know the the seven heavenly virtues. It's good to define them. Um, they are not they're not strict categories. 
Yeah, and just, I mean, like like a lot of the time, one particular sinful action can combine several of the seven sins. Yeah, and so too... Uh, an upright and righteous action can combine several of the seven virtues. Yeah, exactly. One thing that is often part of temperance, and I think this is important, is um, justice as well. Mm, yeah. It's sometimes traditionally categorized under courage. Justice is kind of an interesting one that kind of goes back and forth. But in terms of temperance, again, not leaping to conclusions, um, not making everything a zero-sum game. Right. Being able to judge what the right action is as opposed to just coming up with something. Well, and I, I think I think maybe um, what you're describing there is the difference between actual justice and just retribution. Retribution also if you are in a position of power, and this is important for player characters, I think. Um, moderating between self-interest, and I'm, I, I'm quoting from, Wiki- I'm going to quote from Wikipedia here. Proper moderation between self-interest versus public interest, and against the rights and needs of others. So this is kind of justice as it's described in Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Yes, that's a perfect piece of scripture. active form of justice. Right. This would be good for me, but this would be good for everybody, the community we're helping, the king who's hired us for to what you would commonly refer kingdom. to as social justice. Yeah, it is social justice, and I think that's an important part of temperance. In many ways, it's good works for people. You know, yeah, I could go do something for myself, and maybe that thing for myself would be good for me, or I could go do something for other people. Um, I could go to the gym. I could go work at a soup kitchen. Yeah. And it's not to say one is always better than the other. That's what temperance is for. Making a wise decision between two things that may both be good individually. What's the right thing to do? Yeah, it's and um, it's kind of the uh, the flip side of lesser of two evils in that particular case. It's the greater of two goods. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Brandon, you've been unusually quiet this episode. Do you have anything to throw in here? Um, I was more getting for how we could use it. Um, uh, like, cause you guys were talking about the GMs and everything like that, and I was, I didn't have anything to say about that as Temperance as a GM. But I would say that Temperance needs to be ex- exuded as a player a lot of times also, because I know, like, who here has ever encountered in gaming that guy? You know, the guy who doesn't want to go and do your story. The guy who wants to go over and, you know, like, find his lost goat. The guy who, you know, who doesn't care about the plot. He wants to sit in his shop and do something else. Oh, yeah. The dude who, the dude who will break your story for a laugh. Yeah. Not because of, but because of anything he wants it. Like, that, that guy is, not being temperance. No. Instead of, wait, well, yeah, you need to have your fun, but your fun is ruining the fun of everyone else around. And, like, 
Oh yeah, absolutely. He he's being both intemperate and selfish as well. Certainly, there's a lack of humility involved. Um, uh, somewhat gluttonous too. <laughs> In this case yeah, of yeah. of the spotlight and the attention. Yep. Yeah, and you definitely don't want to be the that guy who um, hogs the spotlight and the screen time and the narrative. Quite yeah. frankly, dragging the rest of the party along on your own private story. Maybe fun for you, but it probably isn't fun for them, at least not for very long. Now, a good way of being somewhat temperate with that and still allowing a little bit of it is, uh, I remember, I believe it was Fear the Boot, they talked about having kind of each character have their own kind of story that was about them that the other characters participated in. Doing that and taking turns, I think, would probably be a really good way of of being kind of temperate with the narrative and still being able to have some spotlight yeah, time. And this, we talk about the spotlight here. Making sure that you give up the spotlight some, I think, is probably just something to keep in mind and make sure that you're not the only, you're not the only person at the table who's doing something all the time. Um, if you are the only person at the table who's doing something, and it's not for a lack of trying. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I've been a wallflower. I've been a wallflower oh, yeah, I've before, been and I've been the only guy who seems to have any ideas or the only guy who wants to take action in a particular scenario. Well, and I think, I think sometimes if you find that you're the only person who's ever doing anything active... Um, Sometimes you can run into a situation where you do it for a couple of sessions and then everybody kind of assumes, oh, he's the doing stuff guy. You know, especially if you've got some more passive people. It's it's good to stop in the middle of some kind of minorly problematic, in other words, not totally life and death situation and be like, anybody else have any ideas? I, I, I've been kind of getting a lot of the, you know, the spotlight time and stuff here. Why don't yeah. you guys take this one? I feel like I've been I've been getting too much, you know, mic time. Yeah, I, essentially, be explicit about it and say, guys, I'm the only one doing something here. Mm-hmm. Step up, or <laughs> or if you want to be a little more gracious about it, say, I feel like I'm hogging the spotlight. Why don't one of you yeah. guys do something? The other cool? thing you can do in game is just nominate other players to to deal with something. Um, I've. You know, ah, yes, delegation. Um, if you're taking that leadership role naturally for whatever reason, go ahead and use that leadership role to say, "Okay, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this," and that that'll help the GM. And your GM will thank you for a coming up with action that you know the other players are involved in. B moving things along, um, and C no longer making it a conversation just between you and the GM. Well, and one of the things that uh, you might want to do in that particular instance is operate a little bit like the military does in the U.S., where it's like, okay, this thing is your responsibility. As long as you play by, you know, the rules of engagement or whatever, I really don't care exactly how you get this done. I just need it done in this place by this time. Right. Go do it. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. Not, you know, not, 
Okay, so first thing you're going to do this, and then you're going to wait this long, and then you're going to turn three degrees to the left. And no, this is your thing. I am giving this to you. I am, I am trusting you with this. You know. Yeah. Any other ideas on kind of how to uh, to use it at the table? I've got a few thoughts on out of game. Okay. But I don't want to. I don't want to get into that unless we're we're reasonably sure that we've kind of gone through what we want to say on the in game stuff. I the the problem I have with like the in game stuff is I'm I'm unsure like uh, like I've never seen like gluttony become that big of a an issue in game whereas temperance would become that big of an issue to you know for the the distraction of a game I mean unless unless it's like the characters are, are, are all they want to do is like. Uh, except for uh, the old joke of, if there's any girls there, I want to do them. Am I getting drunk? Yeah. You know, like that sort of thing. Oh yeah, but like, uh, again, other than that guy, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I I think I think there's a an important difference between um, viewing temperance as just avoiding gluttony and using it as an active virtue too. Mm-hmm. I think I think some of what we've been describing, like, you know, deliberately stopping and handing the spotlight to somebody else is using it a little more actively. I I think in a lot of cases you can do that kind of at the table outside of the game, too. Um, Don't be the first person to grab the pizza when it shows up. You know, let everybody else kind of serve themselves and then take some. Take some. Right. But... Don't be the guy who's, you know, like, you know, cookie monster, om nom nom, as soon as the food shows up. Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe even go around and just, you know, pass out the plates or whatever. Facilitate kind of the the positive experience of other people. I think hosting maybe can sort of incorporate a certain element of temperance to it. You know, you're you're going to enjoy it yourself, but, you know, you're giving up a little bit of your own... Um, space and time and that sort of thing. So probably saddling yourself with a little bit of cleanup afterwards. Yeah. You know, I just thought of something in-game that's important. Okay. Remember we were talking about justice. Yeah. We, we've kind of talked about, you know, characters having to make choices of, you know, okay, well, what's the right thing for me versus the right thing for the community? Things like that. If your character's are in a position of authority. Giving them a question of justice is one of those fun ways to, A, create a plot. Anything from a simple, you know, murder mystery uh, to someone being wrongly accused or, you know, something to investigate, things like that. King Solomon's Um, Dilemma kind of a thing? Well, yeah, or even just a, you know, a simple, you know, CSI-ish cop drama. I, I, I do think that um, putting characters in the position where they have to be the ones that can decide kind of what's good and bad for society can kind of force a certain level of temperance on them mm-hmm. if they want to kind of maintain their status as the good guys in a story. Oh, yeah. Because you can't just... When you're called on to dispense justice, you can't just fly off the handle. Uh, you have to... You have to be somewhat restrained about it. Uh, You have to go out and find out, okay, you know, what's the truth? Who actually did this? You know, 
But a lot of the time, that only sets you up for retribution. If you treat everything as strict liability, yes or no, a lot of the time that's not true justice. You know, it's like, okay, somebody's, you know, somebody's dead. The person who killed him must pay. Well, yeah, except for the person who killed him didn't actually do it on purpose. Uh, they hit a patch of black ice and slid into him with their car as he was going out to his mailbox and killed him. Right. Uh, there's, there's no criminal intent there. The person feels terrible about it, treating them like somebody who had run somebody over intentionally because they were angry is not justice. Yeah. It's this arbitrary. Actually, yeah. This is one of the big themes that I'm actually hoping to bring in to the colonization game that I'm hoping to run for you guys at some point. Ooh, excellent. Yeah. I'll um, definitely be looking forward to that. Because, you know, at some point... I'm looking forward to it because it means we'll be gaming finally. Uh, yeah, there's that. <laughs> um, and on, next week is Valentine's Day, so we'd better not be gaming. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I'll leave it up to you guys what position you guys start in with the colony. Uh, whether you guys are just, you know, kind of bottom rung or top rung or whatever you guys want to be. But at some point, you know, questions of how is the colony organized? What what sort of justice do we have? What is justice? Hey, you guys have the authority to deal with this problem. How do you deal with it? You know, you have the right to make big decisions that will affect the whole colony. That's one of the big themes of the game that I'm really hoping to aim for. Um, and, you know, it's... I think it's something that isn't explored in a lot of games because most RPGs are all about personal level decisions. Yeah, they, uh, it may they, be a they give big a epic of, story. Yeah. But, you know, you save the town, you save the world, you save reality as we know it, but you don't have authority to make decisions that affect people on an everyday basis. And some of that is that it's so much easier to act as outsiders, you know? Yeah, responsibility kind of fetters you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you, you've have, got, you know, you've got power, but you've got lots of responsibility, and the responsibility restricts the sort of things that you can do. Exactly. Nobody plays a bureaucrat because the bureaucrat has to spend 10 hours a day in the office. Mm-hmm. Most of it filing forms. Right. They might be really important forms. Yeah. But it's not exactly adventurous to be filing I forms. don't know. No Have you ever seen Futurama? Very little. Uh, almost none, actually. All right. We are I, I know there's geek a, philistines. It's yeah, very I know strange. there's a psychotic robot and like a cyclops woman, and that's about as far as I can get. One of it. the main uh, characters is the name Termes, and he's a bureaucrat. And the one of the most awesome episodes I ever saw was how Hermes requ- requisitioned his groove back, which was all about being a bureaucrat, and it had this really cool um uh, uh song in it. Okay. That's kind of awesome. I mean, the title alone is pretty cool. Um, yeah, and uh, people play ex-bureaucrats, but they don't play bureaucrats. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
But you don't even usually see people play like mayors or governors or uh, magistrates of any kind, because even those people have so many responsibilities that unless you are in like a frontier or colony type situation, mm-hmm. they probably are stuck in some kind of an office or a courthouse or city hall or some other similar thing. And people come to them instead of them going to the action. Right. The one exception to this, I think, are uh, games like um, actually Star I can... Wars or Rogue Trader or something like that, where you are essentially or can essentially be traveling merchants. You have control over your ship, uh, whatever it is. Yeah, and there's probably trading games and things like that. You know, you may all you're all in control of your company and things like that. Uh, BattleTech. You know, you, you're in charge of a mercenary company, things like that. I would say actually anything military. The officers would, you know, if they were back in the civilian world, would be white-collar workers, but it's a war. You know, they're they're out there in the field with everybody else in a lot of cases. Right. Uh, assuming you're playing a military game where you are officers, as opposed well, to grunts. Yeah, I, military or paramilitary or quasi-military structure, even like that of a ship's well, crew. Well, okay. Works. See, now paramilitary gets into the, to the same thing. You're outside official structures of command, and you're kind of free to do your own thing. I'm thinking like Delta Depends. Green, like Delta Green, that kind of idea of you know, you are your rogue FBI and CIA and NSA agents and whatnot, you know who take time off from your job to go fight Lovecraftian horrors and things like See, that. See, I was, I was thinking more along the lines of the Special Affairs Division of the CIA, where they're still part of the official chain of command, but they have a more martial set of skills than everybody else does. Right. They're, they're part of the chain of command, and they have resources, but they don't have day-to-day responsibilities. Yeah. Um, and or they, that, they do, and those day-to-day responsibilities are more exciting than filing forms. <laughs> yes. But <laughs> but anyway, they, it's a theme that I don't think is explored a lot in RPGs, and I think it's something fun to give to players, um, even temporarily, for whatever, you know, whatever reason suits yeah, your game and genre. Because intemperate authorities can make a mess of things, and good temperate authorities can make things that are bad a whole lot better. Yes, absolutely. I am going to be the best bureaucrat in your game, I promise. You know, (laughs) in like an L5R game, it'd be awesome. Uh, I'd probably wind up playing a Crab Clan Samurai. (laughs) That's just the kind of person I am. Fair enough. Well, so we've talked about them, uh, Temperance, in-game, and we've talked about it out-of-game. Like, yeah, at least a little. And uh, the thing is, I don't know if like there's any ways because I know I had this whole big thing. Uh, like, what were good ideas of temperate characters that you've seen in other pieces of literature? Like, what character that you could think of would just exude the um uh, the um uh, admiration of temperance, and why? Hmm. Jean Valjean, uh, from Les Mis, and I'm I'm thinking in this particular situation of the version with uh, Liam Neeson and Jeffrey Rush and Claire Danes, the non-musical movie that was made a few years back. I, I think, I mean, 
his his character in all but the very first moments of the movie is kind of an exa- a walking example of a lot of the virtues, but he's certainly temperate. I think the uh, I think the bishop that kind of redeems him in the first moments of the story is also extremely temperate, probably more so actually, and that he is willing to give up some luxuries that he had and even take, um, you know, the pain of getting whacked in the face to have a chance of sparing this man's soul. And I think, I think that, have you guys, have you guys seen that version of the movie Uh, or or the story? No, like I said, I've I've only seen the newest version of Lame Is. Okay. This older one is one of my favorite movies ever, actually. Um, There's, it's based on a Victor Hugo book. It's centuries old. I feel comfortable spoiling this. So he starts out, he goes to, you know, he goes to prison for having stolen a loaf of bread. You know, he becomes a much more hardened person in there. You know, he leaves, he goes to this abbey because the weather's bad. While he's there, um, he steals the silver. The, uh, the bishop that's in charge of it, um, Catches him in the act, he knocks the guy out, runs off with the silver. The next morning, uh, some soldiers find him, bring him back, and uh, the bishop um, says, you know, when they they try and give him back his stolen property, oh no, I gave these to him. And the soldiers are kind of like, what? And then he, he looks him very squarely in the eye and he's like, you know, why didn't you take the candlesticks too? You know, they're they're worth, you know however many francs why why did you leave them and you know he he sends uh one of the nuns that he was with back in to, to get those and tosses those in the sack too and the the guards kind of look embarrassed and shuffle off and he makes very kind of intense eye contact with Veljean and he's like with this silver i'm giving you back to god i am ransoming you from you know fear and hatred you know this is your fresh start and he I remember lets that him scene go. now, yeah. And it's it's just it's incredibly powerful. And I I think, you know, it's it's a lot of things. It's generosity, it's mercy, but I think it's also temperance because he he was in a position to kind of he'd been wronged and he was like, you know, this this thing that happened to me is relatively insignificant in the scheme of my life. I can go without a little bit of comfort. I can go without a little bit of luxury. I can go without a little bit of, you know, just retribution. Mm-hmm. And by doing so, everything is better. At least for this guy. And as it turns out later in the story, I mean, that that moment of virtue is definitely rewarded. He turns into an... Ex- uh, Veljean turns into an extremely moral and upright character who exhibits a lot of the virtues himself. But I, I think that's that's one particularly good example uh do you guys have any that are kind of favorites of yours we mentioned aragorn yeah uh in a in a similar vein uh sparhawk from david eddings uh illyrium oh good uh, call not illyrium uh illenium yeah whenever i'm thinking of the four classical cardinal virtues he tends to come to mind a very fair person, uh, which I think is a, an important... We're talking about justice and temperance. 
um, self-controlled. You know, there, there's several scenes where he has to fight down his own anger uh, over being wronged, being hurt, somebody very close to him uh, being in danger or hurt or killed or something like that. You know, he has to maintain that self-control uh, in the face of insults to either not fight when it would be a stupid time to fight. You know, he's a, a knight. It's all, you know, it's kind of a heroic action story in a lot of ways. You know, it's, it's what you would expect him to do. He has to fight that down or to when, you know, if he is going to fight, he has to fight using his smarts as opposed to just wildly swinging at something. So that's a good example that always comes to mind. I think it's hard to put forth what a good character of temperance is because it just seems I can think of a real life example. Really? Yeah, and I thought of another one, but you go well, ahead. Well, because it, it seems like temperance is just a a, a a fellow virtue that's thrown into any other virtuous character that's out there. Like you'll very hardly see a character who is uh like charity, uh, who 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 has who exhibits charity, but not temperance. It, it just seems to be the one easy one that that it gets thrown in there with every good character everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you know, I was thinking about that earlier today uh, when I was kind of working up the outline. I really think, and this is maybe because these four virtues are so closely tied together. The four cardinal virtues. That we you know, always... you keep referring to them, but I don't think you've actually named them in the episode. So ah. for the benefit of our listeners, why don't you list them? Right. Yeah, the four cardinal virtues. These are the ones sort of defined by Aristotle and Plato. Uh, temperance, wisdom, justice, and courage. Those four are very common virtues across a lot of different a lot of different beliefs, a lot of different faiths. They're worldly virtues, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. It's a, it's an area where the most devout believer and the most um, secular humanist will agree. You yeah. you want to have these in your life. You know, it's just, it's kind of, they those four virtues kind of sum up what you would consider just the baseline discipline of being a good person. Yeah, exactly. And so when you're trying to define someone as a good person, I think very often all four of those virtues get put together. Um, and which is why Brandon, I think, I think you see that a lot. You know, it, temperance is something that good people have in a lot of fiction. The character I was thinking of when you brought that up, who I think is a good example of temperance, but not done in the traditional way, is Samuel Vimes from the Discworld series. Oh, good call. Yeah, absolutely. Because he's he's a recovering alcoholic. Temperance for him is no drinking. And there, you know, there's usually in any Discworld book that features him, at least one scene where it's, or or something that comes up where it's, boy, you know, now would be a good time to drink. Can't drink. All right, can't drink. 
Well, and his concern with actual justice as opposed to just the enforcement of the law right. you know, he, also he, fits. Yeah, he occasionally takes the law into his own hands in order to bring about Pers- justice, but it's not – he does it – if this makes any sense, as often as not, it's it's uh, it's more merciful than what the system would allow, instead of more harsh. Right. Which is what you usually picture when you know you use the term "taking the law into your own hands." It's yeah, he he's more forgiving than his society usually is, uh, which lets him be temperate. Um, in his position of you know he's the commander of you know, the city guard for this ridiculously insane city. He's got to control his temper as best he can, which, you know, is described as he's, he's somebody who isn't naturally temperate, but has to learn to be that. He's somebody who struggles with that virtue and barely stays on top of it. Um, And I think that's one of the reasons so many people like Sam Vimes, uh, aside from his sort of action hero-y sort of thing and, you know, good wit and sort sort of that, you know, boy, I wish we could do that role. He's very human because he's struggling with... He's struggling to be a good person. He's very much somebody who could, if he let himself... Oh yeah, he could he could be really far down a really dark path in a real big hurry if he decided he was tired of trying to be a good person and he never does. Right, it's a close thing in a lot of cases, but he never quite does. So that that's I think a good example there. The uh, real life example that I wanted to give was: Have you guys watched Band of Brothers? No. No? Oh, wow. Uh, you missed out on something really good. Brandon, how about you? No, sorry, I can't say I've actually been able to watch that. Ugh. Okay, well, um, one of the central characters in there is this army officer named Dick Winters, who is probably one of the more upright people ever to walk the 20th century. <laughs> mm-hmm. If uh, If his depiction in the show and, like, all of the memoirs of everybody who ever served with him uh, are to be believed. He was just a really genuinely um, good, decent, honest, upright person. Uh, he was very temperate. He was very even keel, uh, which I thought was interesting. There were They depicted a bunch of different, um, both officers and enlisted men, in the series, and... He never once did anything um, even slightly questionable. Hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, this is this is during a war. And the, the, the one scene that really sticks out to me is um, he's talking to one of the other officers. He's a, he's a high-ranking officer. He's talking to a lower-ranking officer. And the officer had just gotten back from <clears throat> playing poker with some of the enlisted guys and uh winters is like you know you really shouldn't be doing that and he's like oh you know it's whatever it's it's fine they know who the boss is and he stops him and he looks him right in the eye and he says what if you'd won and the officer kind of like you know blinks and looks at him and he's like huh what if you'd won 
Never put yourself in a place to take something from these men. And I, I thought that was a particularly good kind of illustration of it's like, look, you know, you're you're responsible for these people. They, you know, you're in authority here. You have to act with justice. Don't be taking things away from them. That's, you know, even if you're not doing it with the intention of abusing your position, you don't even want to abuse your authority by accident. Mm-hmm. That's a good example. I like that. So, and that also gives us some examples of interesting ways to use temperance in your character or in in your games. So, like, it could be, mm-hmm. l- like you said, uh, uh, the recovering alcoholic is could be a really interesting temperate character without having to be, oh, generic good guy. The other thing I can think of as well, well, temperance, I will say, is is generic good guy uh, thing. Temperance kind of, or, or, or the... The concept of temperance, uh, along with probably the virtue of, uh, chastity is, um, uh, probably the most easily thrown around and twisted because who, who hasn't here seen someone who uses, like, the, the, the evil villain who doesn't drink alcohol and won't, isn't a whoremonger or anything like that. And is, but instead, in, in every other way, they're not charitable, they're not um, uh, patient, they're not kind, of course, and they're not really humble because they brag about it all the time. So that with chastity kind of s- switches around, and so it's like, just because you have those ones, they're the most easily, I would say, of the arrest ones, uh, to say, well, that guy's still a jerk, even though he's chaste and temperate. Yeah, chastity is... It's often defined as its own virtue, but it, it, you can also see it as part of temperance. Um, you know, not going overboard, you know, rest- restraining yourself, really. Controlling your, yourself, particularly controlling sexual desires. Well, and I think temperance is, is a good way of distinguishing chastity from celibacy, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Brandon, you actually just reminded me of something, and this is sort of related to kind of all of the. It's related to, I guess, all of the um, the sins that we're going to talk about through this whole series uh, and all the virtues. Um, have either of you played Dishonored? No, no, I have not. Okay, I, I, I've been watching an actual play of the game. I, I don't think I'm going to pick it up, but I've been watching uh, an actual play series, and there's a bad guy pretty early on in the game who's the head of a um, a religious order. This order has you know, these, these strict precepts, uh, you know, these virtues to follow. I don't remember the exact word they, they have for it. And there's a thing you can do to kind of find out secret information about people. Uh, it's specifically you get a heart and a, a modified human heart and hold it up and point it at people. Dishonored is that kind of game. Okay. <laughs> um, and it, it whispers secrets about the person you're pointing it at to you. And that I sounds li- interesting. It is interesting. I kind of like the game. I just don't have time for it. Is the problem. Yeah. But the first thing it tells you about this guy is he breaks every one of the order's precepts. Every day. It's his own little joke. 
Huh. Yeah. Wow. And what's cool is, as you're exploring, you find evidence of him doing that. Like, he's got these little hidden places where he breaks those rules every day. Um, You know, he's supposed to be this chaste clergyman. He's got a little secret place where he brings in prostitutes. He's got other little places like that. And it's this... It's an interesting window into this corrupt man. Um, it'd be, it, go ahead, I would say go ahead and steal that. If you want to say, hey, look, here's a bad guy posing as a good guy, let him act like a good person in public. And when you're going to confront him, the players come across evidence that he just doesn't believe. He, he does not act the way he's supposed to, and he does, you know, he breaks these rules purposefully. Um, whether because he can't control himself, you know, if he's intemperate, or because he can, and he's just villainous enough that he finds it amusing to break them. Hmm. You know, he doesn't believe it at all, or he's so prideful that it doesn't apply to him. Something along those lines. It, it was just a, a cool character concept that you just reminded me of it. Well, and conversely, you could have you could have a villain who actually was very temperate and very was very kind of outwardly good and just believed in horrible things mm-hmm. and went about you know these despicable goals in a very honorable way. That might be a good way of making players feel conflicted or creating kind of um, you know the honorable enemy kind of adversary or something. Yeah, too. yeah. There's there's always the classic. You know, here's a person who is. On the wrong side. A good person, but yeah, exactly. He's on the wrong side. Um, I've been listening to a, a Legend of the Five Rings actual play, which is why I brought up L5R earlier. Um, this is the guys over at Happy Jack's actual. And they're doing an L5R game, and one of the things they mentioned is that you have the, the Bushido code for samurai, uh, which has things like honor and loyalty and all that sort of thing. And they're all supposed to be weighted about equally. Okay. One of the best ways you can set up conflict or a story in the game is simply to take two of these virtues and put them at odds. You know, maybe someone who you respect highly, but because you each serve different lords or you have to behave in certain ways within this society, you end up on opposite sides. You know, it's it's an interesting conflict to bring up and can the players resolve, you know, find a way to resolve it so that, so there's the least harm done to an otherwise good person. Which requires them to be somewhat temperate too and not just temperate, go all after this person. Empathetic, you know, forgiving. There, there's a lot of things that apply, certainly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just a couple of things that just cropped up. Um, I don't know. I don't feel like I have a lot more to say on this because no, I don't. I think we've pretty much covered the the aspects of this one. Yeah. Uh, Brandon, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap this uh, one up? Or I think temperance is an interesting virtue. As I said, it's 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 one of the mo- more ubiquitous ones that you'll ever see. But getting back to the whole thing about the uh, the villains, because the pr- villain I got into my mind was Frollo from Disney, who mm. like he was a very outwardly, you know, uh, a pious person, 
but like there's a whole song where he's basically lusting after this gypsy girl and if he can't have her then no one will and i'm like well those right. there's a couple of you know things in there let's see lust wrath you know greed <laughs> yeah and, 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 and you know it's a good example too because he's intemperate in his application of justice in his treatment of quasimodo uh you know, there, there's a lot of intemperance in him. Yeah, um, it's not. He is kind of the quintessential must... intemperate authority figure. He's intemperate, yeah, but I exactly. wouldn't say he's gluttonous. Like, really? No, yeah. no. Is... He, in many ways, he's a bit ascetic. You know, he's depicted as that very thin, joyless, harsh. Um, yeah, you know, he's he's got this kind of air of constant self denial about him, and in a way that's that's kind of creepy you know it's like i uh i make sure that nothing interferes with my evil hatefulness kind of way <laughs> right <laughs> you know? but yeah like that is is that shows you this is a character who's obviously not temperate but like i said he's it's not like he's he's gluttonous and so that could be a very interesting thing to like look at and do is for especially a villain uh of like yeah. this character who is just excessive in his evil. And I, yeah. th I think that's actually a really good point, Brandon, in that while these virtues and sins are kind of held up as being as opposed to each other, the absence of one does not necessarily equate to the presence of the other, yeah. even if they are opposed. There's this, you know, they kind of um, represent parts of a continuum, and there's a lot of kind of interesting territory between them that you can play with. Yeah, that's very true. The other interesting thing about Frollo, and maybe something you can carry over to other villains, maybe other, you know, player characters or people you want to say, you know, hey, this guy's struggling with something. You know, you've got somebody who is temperate to the point of being ascetic as far as physical consumption, right? Uh, you know, they don't overeat. The guy who sits on oatmeal and, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're a teetotaler or, or something like that, but, you know, they're temperate in that way, but they are intemperate as far as their emotions or not restraining their instincts and things like that. So, splitting temperance up into those two kind of core concepts, I think, would let you make a, a pretty subtle character with a little bit of depth to him to you know say well he you know he, he does this but he doesn't do this this is a problem mm -hmm. um rather than painting with just big well and i think that's that's one of the strokes. one of the places where you can get some really good kind of false holy characters because that's kind of what you described there uh, and brandon you kind of got the ball rolling when you were talking about judge frollo is kind of like the archetype of the dirty crusader right or the the Inquisitor or that sort of thing, where they do all of this stuff to kind of deny themselves, but they're just rotten to the core and cruel and brutal. And, um, you know, they they think that they're so upright and pious, but really they're just an engine of suffering and terror in the world. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really good example, Brandon. I'm glad you like it. Yeah. Probably the best example out of anything in the whole episode, actually. And yeah, so we saved it for the end. <laughs> good, you're going last, but it's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. 
Brandon still goes last, people, even when he goes first. <laughs> well, as I said, um, the, first shall, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Oh. Well played. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So, yeah, I apologize, folks. This episode may be a little disjointed. We had a couple interruptions that I'll try and edit out. Um, but in the meantime, if you've got your own examples of temperance as far as particularly as far as characters i think we've just the explanations we've given of temperance should give people a good idea of how to apply temperance out of game especially at the gaming table um you know restrain yourself don't consume unduly that sort of thing um be self-controlled and more than that, uh, if you guys come up with any interesting uses for temperance that you can think of that we haven't put here, or something we said got the ball rolling, again, we'd love to hear from you. I know, like, yes. Grant said that we've already got a whole bunch of stuff from our gluttony episode, which just makes, it fills my heart with warm, happy butterflies. So, to hear... Yeah, our, our Google Plus community in particular has been going really well lately, so... Yeah. If you want to, um, if you want to get in touch with us, I, you know, obviously there's a multitude of ways of doing it. You can contact us directly through our website. We have a Twitter feed and a Facebook page. But I think the Google Plus community is is kind of the closest thing we have to like an official place to discuss yeah. things right now. Yeah, it's it's where most of our activity is definitely. So definitely head over to Google um, Plus if you don't already have it because Google Plus is awesome. <laughs> yeah, and, and the nice thing is most of the people who are commenting on it. Actually, all of the people except maybe us who are commenting on it are really smart and really know what they're talking about. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah the, the quality of feedback has been amazing. Yeah. So those of you who have been giving us feedback, thank you. You're all awesome. All right. I think I'm going to go ahead and call this one, folks. We're, uh, I, I think we've, we've said a good bit and we can I think we can call it here, don't we can you? You consign this one to the editing table, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. All right, well then, folks, thanks for listening. Good night, um, folks. Good night, and uh, look forward to hearing from you. See ya! This has been a production of Saving the Game, copyright 2012. This podcast may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial non-derivative license, provided that credit is given to savingthegamepodcast.org. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. For past episodes, podcast news from our hosts, or to connect with us, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.